Matt, I hate to tell you this, man, but here we go. If you, if our listeners, you can see Matt, uh, he kind of looks like Forrest Gump at the end of his run across America. <laughs> I just want to appreciate that picture. When I started working here, I had a shaved head and yeah. clean, clean shaved every day, and you know. We converted it. Wine in. world is totally different from the whiskey world, so you I'm embracing it. You definitely look like you work at a whiskey distiller. Well, Welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loggerheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hey, this is Big Chief, and you're listening to The Bourbon Road. And I'm out at Leapers Fork Distillery in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. And I got Lee Kennedy, the founder and owner, April Weller-Cantrell, and Matt King with me today. How you guys doing? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for being here. We're good. Glad you're here. Doing great. Thank you for being here. Yeah. So uh, I'm out here at this just an awesome distillery. We're driving out here today and um, it kind of reminded me of the hills of of Kentucky, Mm -hmm. you know, down down here in Tennessee. And uh, we're driving along on the back little narrow roads and stuff, little creeks and farms. And she's like, take some photos, take some photos. Uh, And then we drive up to the distillery. You got an old, old pickup that's sitting out there. Yeah. 1929. I I drive up to a uh, dog run cabin or a dog trot cabin, Mm -hmm. but you guys have your tasting room. Absolutely. What up? That's what traditionally a, what a distiller would have lived back in the 1800s, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were trying to uh, harken back to the traditions of whiskey making in, in Tennessee and going back there. There are a lot of similarities going back to their settlement between Kentucky and Tennessee. You know, we used to have a very vibrant distilling uh, industry here that got carried on by George and Jack. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, this old cabin was originally built in 1820 and uh, a lot of the early distilleries that were farm distilleries that turned into bigger distilleries in Tennessee, and I'm sure it's the same way in Kentucky as well, that, you know, you would have a, a farm distillery going on with a that started in a residence with a little distillery in the back, usually centered around a spring or something like that. So as we were getting into what we wanted to do here and trying to, to represent those traditions, you know, this old cabin we found down the road and moved log by log, it was it's a neat story and it's a, it's a neat building. Yeah. Well, I told my wife when we we're driving up, I said, uh, <clears throat> Viv, uh, if we get up there and there's a coon, coon dog on the porch and some barefooted <laughs> kids and some pregnant woman walks out with a shotgun, we got to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, but we're, I think we're at the right place. <laughs> 30 years ago yeah. here, you might have seen that. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. if you just keep driving, you might still see it. Right? That's true. Yeah. 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 But, this this area has been known for whiskey for a long time, right? Sure. Um, you know, since its early foundings, you know, we uh, I'm a big history guy, and April is too. And um, so we'd like to study old pro, pre-prohibition distilling history. In, in 1850, Williamson County actually had 10 distilleries in it, according to its industrial census. And uh, initially, it was these farm distillers and things like that. But 
our county historian told us at some point every spring in on this side of Williamson County had had a still on it at one point, especially during the pre uh, the prohibition area and things like that. And that's because the farmers didn't want their uh, they didn't want their grain to go to waste. And what better way to you can only make so much bread, right? Need yep. it. Well, no. you got to have something to drink that bread with, right? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see a lot. Of, I didn't see a lot of grapes going around here. So we know. can't grow a mature wine grape, but we can make some whiskey. <laughs> well, that's that's a good thing, you know. I think. And the old boy that used to own this place, uh, Colonel Hunter, mm-hmm. he he made some whiskey too, right? Yeah, he did. He was the he was actually the second owner of this property before the Native Americans. Actually, they you know they had it before all of us. Um, but he was a second owner and, um, he moved to Tennessee, like most of our early settlers did from North Carolina, you know, back in those, those days, Tennessee was an extension of North Carolina, the same way Kentucky was an extension of Virginia. So, um, he moved here and, uh, settled on about, actually went down to war of 1812, went to new Orleans with, uh, Andrew Jackson, fought the British, moved back to this area and purchased about this whole, I mean, about a thousand acres in this, down this old, uh, wow. South Hall road. And, uh, so he had a distillery over on old 96 around the corner. It's called the distillery tract. Um, so, you know, he's our, he's a true Tennessee volunteer and, and kind of, we would like to honor him through one of our brands here. And he, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if some, I'd, I'd be interested. I'm going to have to take a look back and see what those soldiers, Tennessee volunteers that went down and fought in the world of war of 1812, if they were granted any land and maybe cause a thousand acres back then really sure. to the sellers really wasn't that much, but no. a lot of times the government would grant them yep. lands uh, for fighting. And that'd be some history. I'd like to try to dig up about yeah. Colonel Hunter. Absolutely. Pretty cool. You know, and uh, April has some, you know, a lot of our revolutionary war soldiers were granted property in Tennessee and, and Kentucky. Yeah. They, uh, in fact, this uh, with the second, with the second owner of this, um, he owned it until Hunter bought it because he wasn't a very good farmer. So he must have not been making whiskey or something. (laughs) So what's the, what's the first expression you got for me today? So, you know, as a new distillery, um, we don't make vodka or gin here. We're a traditional whiskey house. You know, that's what our, uh, forefathers made here in Tennessee. So, uh, we went and selected a good 10 year old Tennessee bourbon and brought back, um, uh, a pre-prohibition label one, which is Colonel Hunter here. And so we named it Colonel Hunter select barrel. So this is a 10 year old Tennessee bourbon. Um, the grain bill on it is 84% corn, 8% rye and 8% malted barley. Um, it's a typical soft corn bourbon. Um, like I said, it's, it's 10 years old, but it's, it's really nice. It's a very approachable, drinkable bourbon. So this has been helping us pay the bills for the last three and a half years. You know, we just released some of our rye whiskey back in November. Well, you got to pay for that beautiful distillery, right? <laughs> Probably to me, um, you know, we're walk- you took me through a tour of the, the distillery out there and yeah. uh, let me put a bung in a barrel. Probably one of the most beautiful distilleries I've ever been to. Well, thank you. Thank Um, you. Thank you. You know, that just that barn style, I think, is like I said before, you're not going to get no more traditional than this unless, you know, somebody's back in them woods. Sure. Back there making some whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Try to keep it very traditional. Uh, So, yeah, this is our uh, the first product we had here beside our uh, white whiskeys, uh, which we tell a different story with those. so, you know, as far as the tasting notes on it, I'm going to let uh, Matt kind of walk you through some of those. And uh, yeah, so that, that first one there on your left, uh, Big Chief, we know you like uh, your, your heavy pour there. So we got you a flight today. <laughs> but uh, it, like he said, there's a very approachable whiskey, um, but it's got some complexity too. those caramels and vanillas and butterscotch, brown sugar. You know, uh, there's a little Grand Marsala 
But this is what uh, a typical, um, you know, we wanted approachable bourbon for people to try for one of the first things we're producing, but or not producing, but to put on the shelves. Man, I'm getting a little bit of a little bit of toasted marshmallow on that. Like from, yeah, camp, for from, sure. from a campfire, like we're down oh, to yeah. the creek, mm-hmm. just having some marshmallows. And Mike, that's a 90 proof. This is yeah, 90 proof. 90 proof. And, yeah. and that's a, it's a, it's really a marriage and go ahead and try it. Yeah. But it's really a marriage of, a, of 30 barrels. Uh, so we go into a, a barrel house in Tennessee and they let us select, uh, go through that house and, and select barrels out of it. So it's, it's a true small batch. It's got a little bit of pepper on the back end, just like mm-hmm. we, yeah, I think I would expect a great expression. It's got some, I think John from Dad's Drinking Bourbon last year said it's got some beautiful legs on it. <laughs> Watch it run. Yeah. We, we won some awards on this whiskey uh, out in uh, at the ADI conference two years in a row. It got best of class last year, so it's it's been good for us. So you had to keep the lights on somehow. You had to pay for everything, and that's yep. what you put out. And you, yep. you kept your heritage and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty traditional-looking whiskey bottle, too. Yeah. And our I standard label will be close to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the expression. Yeah, Isn't that nice? Now, who who do, who went and did the barrel picks? So initially, that was we mentioned a, a man named Dave Shurick. Our first barrel pick was me and April and Dave Shurick. Uh, I did that. He's um, up at Boone owns Boondocks now. That's right. Yep. Yes, and he actually brought back a Tennessee whiskey uh, a few years ago. Actually, I think it's more like five or six called Jailers. Did really well and. Um, they kind of outkicked their coverage on it, but it was a really well done whiskey. So initially with that, so he kind of taught us the ropes and since then it's just been our group. Yeah. Well, you definitely picked a guy that really knows what he's doing, right? Yes. It was Long very time with Brown Foreman, <laughs> help, help build Woodford reserve and yes. bring that brand back. And yeah. I mean, if you, that's who you helped, who else in the whiskey industry is really, um, you know, as a young distillery has helped you out. So, you know, we're down here in Tennessee, but we rely on on Kentucky for a lot of resources. You know, um, uh, after Prohibition, Tennessee, you know, kind of because of various reasons, didn't open their state back up. Kentucky obviously did. So, uh, you know, we tell folks the, the places I've been in the world, Scotland and Kentucky, the general population knows about <laughs> about <laughs> making whiskey. Everybody's a brother or a dad or an aunt or a mom that worked in the distillery. Uh, so, uh, Pat. Uh, and Shane up at Wilderness Trail helped us out a lot. Firm Solutions. Um, that's how actually how we met uh, Mr. Shurik. Um, so we we rely on a lot of folks. Uh, yeah. So Pat and Shane, they're there. We call them our science consultants. You know, those guys are the whiskey wizards. They're definitely um, that. They, yeah. They got a good deal. And you pick the right, I think the right guys to work with. And, sure. you know, I think there's several people that you could have went with, but two yeah. most genuine f- fellows you'll ever meet. Kentucky oh, gentlemen. If, if yes, for sure. They're, they're great guys and making a great whiskey. Now, from what I heard, there were Hellraisers in college. Though. <laughs> <laughs> they're t- just two good guys, though. For sure. Um, for sure. So let's talk about, go back a little bit and talk about how you, how Lee Kennedy say, yeah, I want to make a little bit of whiskey. You know, we were talking about a little bit about this earlier. You know, what initially drew me to, to whiskey and then the production of it was from a cultural heritage standpoint, you know, I'm a Scotch Irish guy. And, uh, so, you know, we, there's a direct link to the Southeastern United States and, and bourbon production all the way back to Scotland and Ireland. Um, so when I was about 16 years old, I had a copy of the Foxfire book and an uncle who drew a still on a napkin. And so in my mom's basement, when I was about 16, I made a, had a five gallon pressure cooker and copper condensing line running through a five gallon bucket was my condenser. And 
got some old archaic uh, recipes out of the Foxfire book. And, you know, their internet was not, I'm old. I'm not, I hope I'm not that old. But there was no internet. So. I, had to, I had to drive like 110 miles in Texas <laughs> to a place called Pretty Texas to get booze. So, yeah. It's, uh, so you, I wish you, I'd have had that idea to make me some, uh, my homemade steel. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make anybody blind and I, I learned just enough to kind of be dangerous. So, fast forward to graduating college, moved back to Tennessee, uh, uh, bought a 30 gallon steel and, you know, the statute of limitations, I think, have run out now, but I was barn <laughs> distiller for quite a long time. And, you know, you really, there's only one way to learn it, and that's kind of do it. And uh, by then, internet had come along. So from about 2002 to uh, the inception of really 2009, you know, I was doing some experimenting and poured everything I had into learning the craft and just really fell in love with it from a science standpoint, at, you know, at that time. It's always boggled my mind since I was a teenager that, you know, you could take three inert ingredients and a contraption and turn something in. It's a flammable consumable. You really don't need a whole lot, right? The the farmers back then, you need nah. you need some oak, yep. you need some yeah. some grains, and yeah. you need some good water. I mean, really, uh, it boiled down to its essence. I think Pat and Shane would back me up on this. You know, water, sugar, and yeast uh, in a in a still. You know, that's what you need to make alcohol of course you know that's simplified with the sugar i mean there's more to it than that um so it's kind of it's a it, it's all that's always boggled my mind that people figured this out 500 years ago you know going back to scotland and ireland and here we are sitting here today you know with the the technology is different but the science is the same you know then he, he picked up matt i, I He's like a shaggy dog over here. <laughs> yeah, this is, you, he's like my adopted son. So, <laughs> where'd you pick Matt up? At? And, well, in order, actually, when I was going through, um, and we talked a little bit about history, you know, Tennessee had 322 distilleries in the state in 1895, you know, and our uh, centennial was in 1896. So, in a, ahead of that centennial, they did an industrial census, and I actually have it in the office over there. Um, we had 322 distilleries, and um, so when I was going through that, then that went to two after after prohibition ended. So um, we had a law actually against distillation in our county. Our state legislature changed the law in 2009 um, to allow distilleries back in the state. So really, really, you had a manufacturer's prohibition almost for 100 years. And we actually had prohibition in 1910 in Tennessee instead of 1920 when it was federally adopted. So I went through a really arduous process of convincing our state official, or sorry, our local officials to let me do what I wanted to do. So part of that process, uh, you know, I had 30 acres out here in Leapers Fort for a long time, knew my neighbors, sat on their couches. And so went to some of the community leaders here and ended up sitting down with April and sharing with her my vision and what I wanted to do. And so from day one, you know, with, my family and her, we kind of fought the good fight and went through four public hearings and took us three and a half years to get local approval. Was you really just hitting on her? Or? <laughs> oh, hell no. no. Sorry. Oh, hell no. no. Now, April, you come from, you got some lineage with that name Weller, right? I, I do. And that, and I think that probably makes the funny story between me and Lee because I was working up in Leapers Fork and I was doing all the tourism for Leapers Fork up there and and when Lee came in, I, you know, I loved what he was telling me, but I was a little haughty about my Kentucky upbringing. And uh, he said he wanted to make bourbon. And I looked at him and said, 
you cannot do that. <laughs> and then he, and might I add that he looked so much differently back then. Like his hair was so short. He had no beard. I uh, come in with khakis and a button down on and he hands me this um, business plan to go home and look at, you know, and I looked at it and I called him back and I said, I'm so sorry. I was so wrong to have been so haughty. <laughs> I said, did clear, you, did clearly you, you can make bourbon in all the Are states. you the one that forced him to look like Billy Ray Cyrus? <laughs> well, oh, no. I think, I, that think that, I, think that, I think Yeah, I think that that was a, um, I think that that was something that Lee wanted to do. But I will say I did probably encourage it because my husband had hair up until about what six months ago mm-hmm. that was passed just waste on that. So. I'm just messing with Lee. Hey, I'll take Billy Ray. Yeah. So what's the second uh, expression we got? So the second two, really, the, the story of the second two are the second and the third kind of go hand in hand. So, um, you know, being a barn distiller, I was making Tennessee whiskey and and bourbon in my in my barn. So you know, I had I had some preconceived notions. Um, of, of what I wanted to do, what kind of style, what my grain bills would be, that kind of thing. So, um, I expressly, you know, uh, and we can get into some of this if you want to, but I made a, I decided to make a rye whiskey. The first thing we ever distilled here were 30 barrels of rye whiskey. And we really did that. Um, well, I love the history and the tradition behind rye, but from another standpoint is I knew I was going to release a rye whiskey in year three before four years old. And a lot of that was business plan kind of stuff. Um, and then also the market, you know, a consumer is a little more forgiving on a young rye whiskey. There's a lot of oh, yeah. younger ryes on the market. Um, and rye is right now is a up and coming thing sure, in America. Yeah. I mean, it's the grand old grain. You know, it's the yeah. first whiskey we distilled in, in the United I States. I wouldn't agree with that. I'd say wheat, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> so, um, agree with you. you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do as far as the recipes my grain bill. So we went through an experimental phase of uh, seven different rye recipes before we decided on one. So as a result, that kind of resulted in 13 uh, snowflake barrels. Matt makes fun of me for saying that, but you know, they were, they're all different recipes. So um, Matt, Matt doesn't look like a snowflake. I, <laughs> no, he, no, he's, he's, not, he's, he's definitely not a snowflake. Yeah. We call him John Snow from uh, Florida. Speeding <laughs> up on me over here. I think you're a little bit bigger than John Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but so that first one you're trying is a uh, barrel nine. So it's actually 55% rye, uh, 30% corn, 15 malted barley. Um, and the proof on it is 104.6. Uh, and it's a, it's a single barrel cash strength. Uh, and I tell people, and they also make fun of me saying this too, but to me, single barrel cash strengths are, are kind of scary, especially with a young whiskey. You know, you're, it's like standing up in front of people naked with no makeup on. You know, we literally dump that whiskey out of the barrel, run it through a filter and bottle it. And we don't chill filter here. So, um, you know, with, with when you're marrying whiskey, you can select barrels with certain profiles and use by using proofing water, you can shape that whiskey uh, more so into what you want to do. So these single barrel cast strands, you know, they are what they are. Um, so the first, the first one is the 55% corn and then the barrel number five, which is the third, uh, that one is 85% rye. Um, so that was the highest rye grain bill we did. And it's, wow. a, and it's actually, uh, only in 15% malted barley. We use 15% barley malt, everything. We and do everything. Uh, and Matt can kind of walk you through some of the well, let's, profiles. Let's, let's taste this. Yeah, let's try bit. that. You know, and I think one of the things that I've, I've had this conversation with Lee and April several times in our industry, we use the word age and maturity kind of interchangeably. And, you know, 
really they're they're two uh, totally different definitions. I mean, um, we know that that rye, at least here, we believe you know matures a little bit quicker than corn. Doesn't necessarily age any faster. And it goes back to these, you know, do we use a smaller barrel or do we use a fifty three gallon barrel? And so I think that was one of the things that coming from the wine world over to the whiskey world, um, you know, with with Lee here and walking me through that, it really changed my perspective on what we were doing with our rye whiskey and and why we selected um, the seven different recipes that we did more experimental, um, but also why we went with the 55 rye, 30 corn, 15 barley. So, um, you know, he says being in the South, we all gravitate towards a sweeter palate. Sure. And so that's why we wanted to have that higher kind corn. Like that sweet tea. Mm-hmm. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, so, that, you know, I tasted this and it almost has that super sweet yeah, to it. and actually, yeah. we went with for our standard rye grain bill. So after barrel thirteen, everything had fifty five percent rye in it. We went with that lower content of rye. We call it a Southern style rye. Um, uh, you know, we I, I've heard you in, in the past talk about this. You know, we we use actually a farmer out of Kentucky. He farms three thousand acres in Williamson County for us. So the corn's grown on our property up the road. Um, but you know, we don't grow rye that well down here. They're starting to to develop some Southern strains of rye. And we're looking into that as well. Uh, but so it's always kind of piqued my interest of, and I guess things were different back in the day, but how did rye become the dominant small grain in bourbon? You know, cause we don't grow it that well down here, neither short, cool summers. Um, so because of things like that, you know, we went with the lower rye content of 55% for, for our standard grain bill going forward. That, that could have been because of history and there's sure those, I, I don't know if antique or what would you call them uh, grains that were mm-hmm. grown back in the 1800s. And that's sure. what farmers had was rye. Right. And then that art in the 30s and the Great Depression, the president came out in the Tennessee Valley, especially in, in Kentucky, the government come in and, and kind of told farmers, hey, we're going to have to change how you farm. And kind of retaught them how to plant because they were eroding away. They would farm up a hill sure. instead of sideways on a hill and um, said, hey, here's the grains that we're going to do to replant the soil. And and maybe rye was harsh on the soil, I think. Um, yeah. I could be a little bit wrong on that, but I'm pretty pretty positive I'm right. Um, so in the 30s and 40s when they dammed all the rivers around here and stuff, mm-hmm. and they teach these farmers about erosion took away those those ancient grains like yeah. rye away from Kentucky. It's not that they can't be grown here. And there's sure. kind of people forget about it and they buy their rye somewhere else. You know, that, that's very interesting you say that. Uh, Florida State's actually doing a project right now with what they're calling black wheat. So we used to grow a strain. Of, that's the ancient grain of wheat in the South that was grown. So um, and we, we get our malt out of um, Riverbend Malt House out of Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, the malt's rig- uh, grown up in Kentucky by Walnut Grove. Uh, I think some of the guys up in up in Kentucky use Walnut Grove as well. Holcomb family's awesome up there. Uh, but anyway, so I think they're kind of uh, spearheading some of the, the southern strains of rye coming out. And there's actually a local rye producer here about 20 miles from us in Grinder Switch who's growing local rye. So we use as local as we can. You know, our, our corn and our wheat's coming out of Williamson County. Corn's off my farm. Um, our rye's out of out of Southern Kentucky and our barley's out of Kentucky, but we send it to North Carolina to malt. Now, I got this thought in my mind. I've been having this for a while, and I've been wanting to ask a distillery about this. Uh-huh. Now, Indiana's really big into making popcorn. Sure. They grow popcorn. Mm-hmm. A lot of states do uh, in the Midwest, and I kind of wondered if anybody could make whiskey out of it. <laughs> I mean, as long as it's got starch in it, you can make whiskey out of it. Oh, well, it's, if it's a grain that has starch. I just thought it'd be cool to do it. And I, you know, I, 
You may be on to something. Yeah. (laughs) Kettle corn in a glass. Come on. True popcorn whiskey right there. (laughs) Yeah, I just I thought that for a while. And I've you know, I was like, man, next time I go to distillery, I'm gonna ask them that and see what they they think about that. Because it's I guess that's really an ancient grain too, as uh, popcorn is. I think after being around Pat and Shane, you find out that you can make whiskey out of almost any grain because they can they simplify the most Mm-hmm. Intense science that you could possibly. Well, there's quinoa whiskeys on yeah, the market exactly. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, rice rice is yeah, absolutely for mm-hmm. whiskey forever. You know, and I, actually yeah. in America, rice whiskey is going to be coming back. There's a place called Seven Three Distillery down in mm-hmm. in New Orleans, and they're going to be making some rice whiskey. And I I thought that was pretty neat. So, a question for you, April and Matt. Uh, he he done told me he he couldn't find no juice to drink as a kid so he's like I just make my own <laughs> in a barn that <laughs> you're pretty thirsty April what was your first drink of bourbon you remember mm-hmm. oh man it's bad girl <laughs> well I mean I grew up I grew up my family's from originally Nelson County so I mean that kind of you know I think that they put it in your bottle just to like keep you to shut up Uh, which isn't a bad thing i guess which they call a toothache right right right, exactly it was a toothache it's all medicinal um weller was my first bourbon that i drank and it was you know it's funny because it was always the bourbon that i loved the most and um always complain because i say i've i've probably boasted about it too much and now everybody likes it but i mean that's what gave me my start but I found out that I like a lot of bourbons. And Lee, honestly, is the one who taught me to like rye. And when I when he first met me, I was completely against rye. I was like, I do not like rye. I know I don't like rye. And he was like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, I mean, so he's he has taught me a whole lot about some of the industry and uh, obviously, but some of the, my even on my flavor profiles. And I will say this. Um, I find that the women that come in here really, really like these rye's because mm-hmm. I find that women like a more robust flavor. And even though these are on the sweeter side, um, there's, you know, that peppery flavor and they really like that. And that's I what I like about it. Women have a better palate than men do. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you on that. But I mean, just in, in general, um, being a part of bourbon women, just knowing all those and meeting all those different women, I've found that so many of them tend to um, lean toward a rye or a high rye you know, bourbon. Um, and I get it now. It's a really robust flavor. I like it. Now, so let's fast forward to today. Okay. Besides Leaper's Fork uh, whiskey and bourbon, what's your go-to bourbon on the shelf? Uh, go-to bourbon on my shelf would be three, maybe four, but um, Weller would be one, and that's always amen, there. Amen, sister. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, four Roses, and that's being small batch. I really like their small batch. That Not to, I like the single barrel too, but the small batches are really good one. Um, Old Forester, really like Old Forester because I like some of the flavor profiles on that it leaves on your palate. And then my last one's probably going to surprise people is I really am digging Old Granddad. Old Granddad <laughs> on on the yeah the the proof in the hundred proof and b- bottled in bond. I really like it. It's and it's to me it's a very um, sneaky whiskey. People that would pass it on the shelf because it's not. The high priced whiskey. So you just you just told everybody you're a penny pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Am I a penny pitcher if I drink Weller? I don't think so. It's <laughs> hard to do that now. For twenty two dollars a bottle, you are. That's right. That's, right. That's, a, that's what I tried. Matt, what about you, man? When was your first? You know, 
one of the things I remember growing up, and like I, I mentioned earlier, grew up kind of around wine a lot. My parents were winos. Uh, <laughs> they, they were. Uh, my dad's putting in a wine cellar in his house right now. So, uh, but uh, you know, one of the things that I would always remember is they would they would hand me a glass of something, and they would say, "Okay." you know, is this red or white? And obviously that was an easy question growing up. And then, okay, smell this. You've smelled something like this before, you know? Okay. Um, now it eventually grew into taste this, you know, you've had something that tastes like this before. What is it? And so I think that helped to build my palate, but I think my brother wrecked it when we went to Michigan state and he started pulling out, <laughs> you know, whatever bottom shelf whiskey he could buy. But, uh, I think growing up, you know, I do remember sitting down one time with my father and he pulled out uh, a bottle of, of gentleman Jack Daniels and set it down. He said if you want to you know, have a drink with me you're more welcome to stay at the house tonight and have a drink but you're not going out and right. i think that was one of the best memories i had because it was one of the best conversations growing up you know with my parents it was teaching me to appreciate what was in my glass but you know michigan state kind of wrecked that for me too well, that's that's, that's I, mean, I, I think that's being raised responsibly you know hey let's let's try it here home and that's probably a lot of people's first mm -hmm. first whiskey um i think mm -hmm. that might have been one of my really first whiskeys is my stepdad had a bottle of of, of jack daniels and we drink that and then i had uh i went out one night with a bunch of buddies in high school and i i came home about four in the morning and about four thirty, my bed got kicked and said get up and uh, i had to go <laughs> scoop out a corn uh a silo that had the top blown off and it rained and filled it up about sure. four foot deep and i had to scoop that out and in a hot texas sun in the summertime it mm -hmm. Probably some fermentation won't, going won't on. Won't forget there. that, huh? I, I, it, it almost ruined me, and then you know it took me a while to really appreciate the whiskey, and then I kind of moved to to ten high. I was a whiskey for a while, mm -hmm. but I drank, and then military special being in the military, and I just kind of graduated from there. And what do you <laughs> besides Leaper's Fork? Obviously, you know I'm sure you do get to drink a lot of that. What do you? What do you? Yeah, um, I think that you know, as Lee says too. Um, we can, we can really find something to appreciate in every whiskey here. Um, you know, I, I love uh, Old Forester Single Barrel. Uh, big fan of that right now. Um, just finished a, a bottle of Buffalo Trace that I really enjoyed. I uh, had a buddy give me a, a blind sample of very old Barton Hunter Proof that that blew me away not too long ago. Surprisingly, I was I had no idea what was in the glass. So when he told me, I was like, man, this is, you know, I can appreciate this. So, um, but I think Old Forester Buffalo Trace are kind of my two um, go tos on a on a daily. But uh, other than ours, obviously. But well, I tell you what, I've been sipping on this as we've been talking this rye whiskey, and I'm not a rye whiskey guy, mm -hmm. but um, I and I, I always think I'll be a weeded whiskey guy. But ryes have grown on me in the past six, seven months. Is the more I drink and the more places we visit and the, the great expressions of stuff, this has such a caramely. I still go back to that sweet tea, almost where you could put a spoon in it and stir it. Sure, you know, the spoon to stand up. <clears throat> um, well, let's let's keep sipping sip okay. on this, and we'll cool. take a quick quick break and then we'll come back we'll we'll try the other two expressions you got for us absolutely yeah we would like to thank tommy and gwen mitchell from logheads home center for supporting this episode of the bourbon road logheads home center nestled in the hills of kentucky is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty 
of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. back here still at leaper's fork so lee what what's third expression you got for us to sample so the third is another rye whiskey so going back to that story you know our our, we had seven different of those initial rye grain bills that were experimental and they range from 55 percent rye up to 85 so you've kind of you're seeing both ends of the spectrum here so the first one you tried was that 55 percent more that southern style rye um, with that 30% corn, this third one is just two grains. It's 85% rye, uh, and 15% malted barley. So it's a, it's, you know, typical of a high rye, more of a, a Northeastern style of rye. So we want to kind of show you both ends of those spectrums. Um, and to me, it's really interesting because you can really see what that, what that grain contributes. And I gravitate towards the, towards the lower rye content. Hence the reason we carried on from, barrel 13 onward with the 55% rye. Uh, and that one, the the proof on, on that is 106.8. And it says jingle barrel. Was it made at Christmas time? <laughs> <laughs> that was, so all of those labels are handwritten <laughs> and it's supposed to say single, single. barrel. <laughs> that, that, that actually isn't as from one of the people who wrote that. It, it, oh, I see. I see we had a table of about five ladies <laughs> for two weeks handwriting labels and wow. they were actually were hand applied. Um, so it was, uh, in that, you know, we, during Christmas time, we released a seven series box set that you see on the table here. So each, each bottle represents one of the seven different grain bills. That's a, that's a grown man's Christmas present. Yeah. Right? We kind of, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. definitely a grown man. It's I, cool. I gotta say, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I usually can pick out like, like I said, Hey, Billy Ray Cyrus and stuff. <laughs> Matt, I hate to tell you this, man, but <laughs> here we go. If, you, if our listeners, you can see Matt, uh, he kind of looks like Forrest Gump at the end of his run across America. <laughs> I just want to appreciate uh, that picture. When I started working here, I had a shaved head and yeah. clean, clean shaved every day, and you know, we converted. Wine him. world is totally different from the whiskey world, so you I'm embracing it. You definitely look like you. Work at a whiskey distiller. Well, I'll appreciate that. I don't know about the Forrest Gump, but I'll appreciate that. Uh, we're going to carry that one a long way. Thanks, oh, Mike. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Mike. You get a muddy T-shirt, man. Yeah. You're all good. That's I know my good. Halloween costume this year. Well, if, if, you, if you end up in life with as much money as Tom Hanks has, that'd be a compliment. No doubt. This is a, this is some great ride. You know, it, this is super high ride. It's got a definitely a kick to it yeah it you know? does you know it's and in, in and y'all but April not as Matt. peppery i don't think as you might think it would be to me on the front end with the nose and even the flavor um it has a peppery but it tastes like a green apple to me i have a lot of green apple on it that i get that on the nose as well. that i get it on the nose and even when i first get it, it hits the tongue um but yeah it's not it's a surprising 
all of these to me are seven box set as well as the other the other rise that we bottled none of them to me drink as high as the proofs seem I'm going to tell you what I think or, the or, taste of this is. And mm-hmm. If I took some Twizzlers and set up on my dash in a hot <laughs> summer sun and I ate one of them, that's what I'd think of it, like a cherry Twizzler. It's funny you say that. Matt has has used that tasting note as well. And really for us, um, you know, our ex, our, the way our still set up as well, um, we, our exit proof off the still is about 137. So um, I think, and we use a, a different style of, of malted barley. We're actually using a six-row brewer's malt. Um, that's toasted before we get it. So, you know, even on our rise, we have a we have a naturally sweeter profile, and that's just because you know, like my grav my palate gravitates towards sweet. So, obviously, you're going to make the kind of whiskey you want to drink. So, everything we kind of, you know, everything you do in a stiller has a reason, but everything is kind of sets up towards a towards a sweeter style pro uh, profile. That, that's kind of how I. Uh I think, you know, I think me and Jim both have different opinions on stuff, and that's good for our podcast. And I saw you had some water on the table for us mm-hmm. to put in there, but I'm kind of like John from uh, Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Um, I'd hear, listen to his episode with you guys. And John's great. He, he had said that he believes that you should drink whiskey the way that the distiller put it in a bottle. And I, I'm kind of that same way. I like to drink mm-hmm. it neat, no water, no ice, no nothing. I want to eat to me, that's that purity, that's that – Bakers, whenever you have a cake from somebody, you don't mm-hmm. say, well, you know what I do? I'll get me some sprinkles and put on that cake from that baker. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, we, I have that philosophy, too. You know, it's uh, especially my initial um, uh, approach to the whiskey. You know, I'm always going to try it neat. Even some of the, you know, crazy cash rents that are up there, you know, over 125, what they went in the barrel at. You know, I'm at least going to try it neat. Um, uh, but to me, my favorite proof points tend to be, uh, between 95 and a, and nothing really over 110, um, you know, after that, you know, but I can drink, I'll drink a, a neat whiskey up to about 110. Well, I think a, a neat whiskey, you're drinking over 110, you're drinking a batch proof or a, you know, barrel cast strength, whatever you want to call it, foolproof. When you're drinking that, that's, you can only drink so many of those. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You're not going to no be able to walk straight. Right. Small but, sips. But Irish whiskey or mm-hmm. the scotch, what, What's the proof on those usually? Eighty on Irish and Scotch. You know that yeah. traditionally that's what it's been. Um, and we actually make an Irish style whiskey here. We can't call an Irish whiskey. We you know a, a traditional Jameson grain bill, a forty percent malted barley, sixty percent unmalted. W- one month a year we play around here and we do alternative grain bills. And I love I like Matt was saying earlier. I appreciate all kinds of whiskeys. Irish whiskey, Scotch whiskey. I mean, some of the Lafroigs are are hard to to choke down, but, um, pretty much in general, I can find something to appreciate in any whiskey, kind of like a person. I can try to find something to appreciate. Could you imagine a bunch of leprechauns running around (laughs) drinking 138 proof whiskey? So so that, you know, back to that, that Irish is 80 proof and it's triple distilled. So, you know, it's a lighter whiskey to begin with. So we take 40% malted wheat from our County, 60% unmalted and we triple distill it in the Irish tradition. And it comes off very characteristic um, um, of an Irish whiskey. So it's we've got it sitting in barrels and used uh, in ex-bourbon bar- barrels right now. It's nice. It needs some time. So is that do you like that Irish whiskey, April? I do. I mean, um, that's kind of what it's just bourbon a different, came it, from, right? Yeah. I would, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean. The process. The processes. But, I mean, I do like the weeded. I, I'm kind of like 
both of them. I can find something to like, and most of, I wish I could find something I didn't like. I, I mean, I got this theory about weeded whiskey and, and Weller, and, and for people that don't know, Weller is he is the father of weeded whiskey. He, mm-hmm. if you drink any other weeded whiskey, he's the first man that that we know put, he is. put weeded it. Mm-hmm. But I think the man got sold a bunch of wheat and he, he had an extra and he's like, I got to get rid of this. <laughs> well, I will neither confirm nor deny that I know anything about that. <laughs> you know, it's funny yeah. how history, there's probably a lot of that goes on in history that nobody knows about, you know, just little bitty circumstances that turn into myths and legends and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. There is a lot of lore. Um, people say facts, but mm-hmm. you know, Elijah Craig being a father of bourbon and that's, pretty disproven yeah, today sure. that he he's more than likely not the father of bourbon. Right. But I love new craft distilleries like you guys. Mm-hmm. You're building your own history. There's no there's no story behind you. Mm-hmm. You're building your own story. Now you got Colonel Hunter here and yeah. you're you're using his legacy, but there's no there's no backstory. It's it's you. Yeah. The Lee that got in his barn and was making some hooch. Um that's the start of Looper Fork, right? <laughs> you know, well, and kind of my opinion on that is all of our backstories, anybody that's making Tennessee whiskey or bourbon, that that tradition of those whiskeys is our backstory. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I don't make vodka and gin here. I, I appreciate appreciate those products, but um, I love the the cultural, her- cultural heritage of our state, same way in Kentucky, that, you know, and that going back to that history, it's so convoluted. You know, it was more of a cultural movement. Like those guys from Scotland and Ireland came over here. They didn't have barley at their disposal, but they could grow the hell out of Native American corn. And they realized they could. They that could, was the grain they had. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So yeah. you know, you distilled what you had at your fingertips, and you know that was the birth of bourbon. You can't to, to tie it to one single person is, is a lot of the bourbon crazy. industry. A lot of people don't know that it is is German. Um, a ger- that German heritage too. Sure. The Germans were making whiskey. And if you told, I think if you told Germans that today, they'd be like, no way. Yeah. Um, we had uh, my wife's family is uh, from Germany and they came over here this summer and they don't like whiskey at all. <laughs> I know. Is that not bizarre? <laughs> they like that beer though. And they yeah. like, but they like, like Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I used to be a big beer drinker, but yeah. you know, I think I gravitated towards bourbon because I'm a big guy. You know, if I drink, it takes a lot of beer to get me to get me out on the dance floor, as my wife would say. But it don't take too much whiskey. Guys. It gets you there quicker. Yeah. 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 So Leaper's Fork, for our listeners um, are coming down here and stuff, there's not a whole lot of signs on the interstate for you guys. No, there's not. No. Um, you know, really, we're Leaper's Fork until, you know, we stake our claim in the ground being Leaper's Fork. You know, it's it's been its own ent- entity going back to 1801, but it's really kind of an extension of, of Franklin. So uh, we, if I'm out and about, you know, somewhere else in the country and they ask where we're from, first answer is Nashville. But then we say really Franklin, you know, that kind and of. how bit. far are we from Nashville right here is the crow flies? We're about, uh, depending on what time of day, but you can get from, from downtown Nashville to here in about 35 minutes, right. somewhere 40 minutes. Yeah. And then Leaper's Fork. So you used to, April used to work for Leaper's Fork, right? Uh, I did. And they got a pretty famous little grocery store here. Um, they've got Puckets here. Mm-hmm. What's, what's Puckets for our listeners? But Puckets for our listeners is a, now it is not a grocery store. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a bar grill um, eatery. Um, great place to be. They have a lot of music there, but it started out as a grocery store. A small 
a very small grocery store. Actually, um, when it started out, Miss Mary, who owned it, um, was making and how it became into a partial eatery is she was making hamburgers and fried bologna sandwiches on a flat top. There's nothing wrong with that right there. They were great. No. No, no, no. Nothing wrong with it. And they have they specialize in live music now. You know they've got live music every night except Monday. Imagine yeah. that we're in Tennessee now. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. Like tonight yeah. is actually um, the Great open mic night. Right. Yeah, they have an the open mic night. Are you going to go up there and sing April? Uh, no. <laughs> she could. I what, could. What about Forrest over there? Is he? No, I'm not going to run up there. I got to run for, run back down. Forrest over here out. is a really good singer. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> so. Is there a plan to put some signs up on the interstate and say, hey, here's this craft distillery? Yeah. Um, you know, right now, the the story of, of our distillery is we're very – yeah, we will. The short answer is yes, and we've been talking to the state about that. And we do have some signage uh, closer into Franklin. Um, the only marketing we do right now is on social media. You know, we're very internally focused. We're still – we're a small distillery. We make 500 barrels a year. It's about 25,000 gallons. Our big brother down the road making 125,000 gallons a day. So you're – for all of our listeners, this is definitely not an industrial no process. And how many barrels per day? You said we're making about two and a half per day. Two and a half per day, and right. you know, I, I, your your buddies up there in Kentucky, Pat and Shane, I yep. think this past summer, and I'm sure they're surpassed that, but they were pushing mm-hmm. out about 212 oh, barrels yeah. per day. They got it going on. Um, you're you're the true American dream, you know, um, and you did it right, and I'm sure it. It wasn't easy to get to this point. No, and we're not there yet. You know, I mean, right now we've got a lot of, well, when I say a lot of, we, we think it's a lot of whiskey laying on wood right now. Um, but and so liquid assets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm whiskey rich and cash poor right yeah. now. So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're, we haven't, um, we're getting there. You know, we, this year we saw close to 17,000 paid tours, um, which helps us tread water while we're, um, uh, while we're aging whiskey, you know, we're, we're internally focused right now. When we start releasing whiskey, when I, and what we consider bulk, you know, we're, our focus will shift externally. I'll probably have Matt on the road, you know, doing some brand ambassador stuff. Um, and we, you know, we want to be a small regional brand that will always be allocated. You know, we're, um, if I do grow, um, you know, we run a 500 gallon pot still. I love pot stills, the tradition, you know, until uh, column stills were initially invented for the gin market in, in uh, in London, in the late eight and eighteen hundreds. So up until then, every drop of whiskey made on a pot still. So I love the tradition and the history behind pot stills. I think the flavor is more robust coming off of them. Of course, hey man, there's everybody's making great whiskey. Yeah. Just you know, I just I love to gravitate towards pot still. So if we do anything different, you know, I'll drop in a, a thousand gallon pot still and double our production. If if I we move off site to a larger area or production area. I think I'll still have a pot still, you know, I just, that's kind of one of the beliefs I have with, with the way we make whiskey. That's what I try to tell our listeners that, you know, get off the beaten trail. Don't go to the big distilleries, you know, absolutely go to those big distilleries. But if you want to put your money somewhere, um, put it at Leaper's Fork at a craft distillery where it's actually going to go to some people. It's going back into Leaper's Fork into a community that, you know, what else is here? There's not an, it's not an industrial complex. Sure. Well, um, you know, in America's built by small business people at, yeah. its, at its heart. And uh, and on the inverse of that, you know, what we're trying to do here is at its core is emulate big boy whiskey. I mean, like by our, I say what we do here to our folks is, is, you know, we're trying to make a big boy style bourbon Tennessee whiskey 
at the small level using our local resources, um, you know, using traditional techniques. So they are our benchmark. And even in our Tennessee Distillers Guild, you know, Jack and George sit on there and um, they're they're the most uncorporate corporate entities that I know of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they offer uh, lab services. Um, You know, y'all use the term rising tide floats all ships. You know, that's, that's what we see at our, at our guild meetings. And, you know, like we sit next to um, Nicole Austin from George Dickel, Jeff Arnett at Jack. And, you know, they, they extend the hand to the little guys and, and uh, really kind of, they're, they're, they're proponents of us. So that's, that's good. What states are you guys in right now besides Tennessee? So we're we're only in pretty much Davidson and Williamson County, which is central middle Tennessee. Alabama. Um, oh, yeah, we're down in Alabama. I, I, On the coast. Yeah, my mom's side of the family is from this area since about 1805, but my dad's side of the family is from the Gulf Coast. So Dirty south down there. Absolutely, deep <laughs> south. You know, it's uh, uh, too much iron in the water back in the day to make whiskey down there. Um, but anyway, so yeah. uh, we've got a little whiskey down on the Gulf Coast right now. But uh, there's no plans to make some uh, put apple peels in your whiskey. You know, not right now. But uh, I'm I'm up to trying anything. That's a that's an Alabama thing, right? Is it really Clyde Mays? Yeah, Clyde Mays. Yeah, yeah he that's does right. Do that. He does yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I just think it's amazing. So you, you are we going to see you in Kentucky? To oh, absolutely. People? Yeah, Kentucky is kind of the 65 quarter for sure. You know, um, if he doesn't take it to Kentucky, I'm going to have to have a heart attack or something. I don't know. April's right. I mean, our next extension will be um, all of our surrounding states. So kind of our right now we release we've only released 13 barrels of our own of our own whiskey starting in November. Uh, we'll release another 16 barrels of our own rye whiskey in March. Um, in November of this year, we'll release about 60 barrels of Tennessee whiskey, which we're going to try next. Um, and then I'm trying to put at least five, that, that Tennessee will be over four years old. So and I'm trying to put at least five years on my bourbon, which is a weeder. Um, going back to that, you know, needs a little more time in the barrel. So I'm trying to get you to pour some of that barrel for it. <laughs> uh, so Matt, Matt might have promised a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you never know. So we can make that happen. The whiskey you got for me next, uh, your Tennessee whiskey. Yes. Um, and I'm looking at that bottle and it is, I, I, I'd say it's almost as double in the color. It is. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, man, I tell you that rich that amber, amber, that mm-hmm. amber goodness, yeah. as I call it, um, liquid, liquid gold. It is nice. It's it's a richer color, you know. It's um, and just for uh, clarity, that's actually Matt and I pulling some samples out with Greg yesterday out of barrels and sitting around wanted to show you and. and also, to clarify, you're the first person out of this organization to try that Tennessee whiskey. Well, that's, that's pretty special. Uh, yeah, I, man. Yeah. I say cheers. 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 Let's, let's try cheers. Yeah. cheers. Now, to me, that that's a definitely a Tennessee whiskey right there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a it, the grain bill on that 70% uh, corn, 15 rye, 15 malted barley. You know, when they say smooth is Tennessee whiskey, that's... Yeah. And some people in the whiskey business, they don't like that word. Uh, you know, I think Irish, they don't, Irish and Scott, they don't like to say smooth they whiskey. Don't. But, you know, I'm I'm 6'3", and I'll say smooth <laughs> if I want to say smooth. Yeah, you say and, that's, you want. and that's barrel proof, too. That's 105.2 really? on that one. So I don't know. I think it drinks like a 90 proof. It You know, it's maybe I could, I could see it going and staying in the barrel a little bit long. Oh, absolutely. Legs with a light on there. But, uh, yeah. 
I think you're you're definitely on the right track to where that's what I think of a Tennessee whiskey. That's definitely a Tennessee whiskey, and thank I think you. you can compete with the big boys with that stuff right there. Well, thank you. It's uh, we're ha- I'm happy where it's at right now. You know the the sixty barrels of that we made in year one will start. All of that will start. will be over four years old. Um, starting the fall of this year. So uh, eventually, you know, I want our standard bottlings to be about seven years old. Of course, you know, as a as a new distillery, you've got to fill that pipeline. So, you know, we're we're holding stock back as we're releasing. We're keeping that in mind. Um, but it's a struggle, you know, with cash flow. I mean, it's a, it, you really you walk a balance between um, nobody ever wants to fast forward time, you know. But in the case of whiskey, you know, it's like, man, I wish that was seven years old. But you can't think like that. Well, that Rick House that you want to build, absolutely it build itself, right? It, no, it, and somebody's got to fund it. Yep. Somebody's got to build it. it yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think everybody realizes that. And mm-hmm. um, I've heard people say, "Oh, I'm not going to pay fifty or sixty dollars for that bottle of of whiskey because." You know, it's not worth that. I can go buy this mm-hmm. or this or this. And I'm like, you don't know what they have in that bottle of whiskey. I, and it's not for just sure liquid in there. It's their distillery. <laughs> it's their employees. Yeah. It's the love they put into mm-hmm. it. Um, they might be hand labeling, like you said. They might be putting the bottles or filling the barrels themselves. Yeah. They're, they're, there's a lot of work that goes into that. No um, doubt. And I think you got to realize that what you're, what you're buying is not just the whiskey, but you're buying that company. You're buying their their love and their passion for their product. Sure. And, uh, and sometimes I think people be shocked. Yeah. That what they can truly get out of this will compete against anything a big company will put out. I'm not saying don't go buy your standard Jack Daniels bottle. Right. But I think, uh, old George and Jack would be proud of you today. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. With something like this right here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, and I told you before the show, you know, uh, Spent a lot of time in Kentucky, and I'm a bourbon guy. I love Tennessee whiskey, too. When I started the project, we weren't going to do a Tennessee whiskey. It was going to do Tennessee bourbon. And um, some friends in in Kentucky said, man, you, you've got to do a Tennessee whiskey. You'd be doing yourself a disservice. I'm a contrarian. I wasn't going to do it. Um, not a lot of people making bourbon here right now. Um, and then so – and I, I love the tradition behind Tennessee whiskey. I love the tradition behind uh, bourbon and both of them, you know, and the – Federal government doesn't make a distinction between the two. In essence, Tennessee whiskey is bourbon. That's been an argument going back forever. Um, by, by law, it yeah, is, by, right? exactly. I mean, you make bourbon. I mean, the federal government says y'all gonna have that argument down south. We don't care. It's bourbon. But in Tennessee made that law themselves. Yes, saying for sure. Be called Tennessee yes. whiskey. The um, and really, what that is is you make bourbon in the state of Tennessee, and before it goes into a barrel, you run it through sugar maple charcoal. That's that is the difference. Sugar maple charcoal, and it gives that mellower yeah, flavor I mean, to it. You can kind of think of it as a Brita filter for whiskey a little bit. You know those fusel oils that are carrying over in the in the distillate. Um, uh, that charcoal is capturing some of those those heavier oils, smoothing that whiskey out. Um, what the bourbon people say you're doing is stripping out a little flavor, and there's probably truth to both of those statements. You know Tennessee whiskey tends to be. Um, a little, a little lighter, a little smoother because of that, um, that filtration. Maybe have a different uh, mouth feel. Um, I heard Michael Veach on one of your on your podcast talk about adds a little alkalinity for sure. You know, we we really spend some time testing that whiskey before it goes through that linking, before it goes through it, and then after the, the after effect. So before it went through the the process, um, through the filtering process, mm-hmm. did you guys taste that? Yeah. And look at the color in it. Was it lighter in color or darker in color? Well, the color is always going to be clear, you know, so because coming off that still, it's it's, it's white dog. So 
we actually um, there's two schools of thought. You know, you take your white dog off the off the still, uh, run it through at at exit proof off the still, um, and then do your proofing on the back end. Uh, we're actually playing with two two uh, techniques right now. Uh, we're proofing to about uh, if we go we go in the barrel 110 for various reasons. Um, so we proof that whiskey down about 112. Uh, and then run it through the filter and then that's a little bit of proof of water before we put in the barrel. Hmm. Um, but we're playing with both of those. And there's different techniques with the Lincoln County process. Um, and so we're kind of playing with those as well. But uh, we go through about three and a half. We don't do as much jack. We just go through about three and a half feet of charcoal. <laughs> takes us about 36 hours. But yeah. So, so Matt, April, every day, how much, let's say, you know, how much bourbon are you sampling on a daily basis? Or Not whiskey? Enough. Not enough. <laughs> I can agree with that answer. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, we're just we're just now coming into our own, really, with releasing some of these, and you know, I'm I am um, I have to stra- I feel like I have to straddle the fence because in my job role here, I do part of operations, I do part of marketing, I help um, our CFO with that things, you know, that part of it. Um, so I'm like. No, 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 tap it. Don't tap it. Tap it, tap it, tap it. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, push and pull. That's a that's a tricky mindset, you know, oh, yeah. whether to let's, let's empty that barrel or not empty it. And I remember Pat and Shane up in there in uh, Kentucky, they were like, well, they were going to wait another year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think David, I don't remember if it was David or not that said, hey, you need to bottle this. Let's yeah. get this out there. It's ready. It is ready. It's a line. And that's a scary, I think that... For a business owner, it'd probably be a scary thing to it you know, wait or not wait. To, does yeah. it taste right right now? Is it going to taste right in a year? Um, you only get one chance to make a first impression, and that's that's scary. You know, our my CFO is my uncle. Where we're all family owned here, small family owned business, and uh, so he's. They, a, he, they always say, "Don't do business." <laughs> we haven't killed each other yet, but uh, you know, it's a trade off. Um, you know, he's a widget guy. So he wants some cash flow and I want a damn good whiskey. So, you know, we debated on whether to operate for about four and a half, five years with no sign on the door, no tourism, just behind the scenes making whiskey. Um, and we decided that, you know, there's there's obviously value in branding. So for the last three and a half, four years, we've been kind of building our brand our way, so to speak. But even now, you know, it's uh, it's scary for me to release that three and a half year old rye. You know, it's um, um, it, but I do think educated consumers see through youth, you know, and I'm extremely happy with the way everything is, is progressing. You know, I'm, um, like I said, I don't want to fast forward time, but I can see where that's going. And for us, we're laughing like April talking about tapping barrels, you know, a lot of big distilleries, they don't start checking barrels till about year three and by year three, they kind of know which direction is going. We started tapping barrels. When I say tap, trying them, sure. you know, not, not dumping them, but, we were trying after, you know, three months. You're, you're the, for our listeners, that's pulling the bung out and you're putting a, yeah. a whiskey thief down in there right. and, and taking a sample and yeah. and letting mm-hmm. a couple people try it and right. seeing what their thoughts are. Because if you just went off of one guy, um, sure. you know, your, your taste is different than everybody else's. Uh, you know, me and Jim always say your whiskey your way. Right. Um, your taste is different than my taste. Sure. And that's why sometimes I might taste a... A hot Twizzler. <laughs> right, right. Um, somebody else might taste something different. And yeah. I trust these guys' palates. You know, um, we do a lot of blind taste tests here. 
I love blinds. Um, I think they're great. They strip all the you know bull crap away. Uh, so we do a lot of things here with our products and other folks, and uh, just trying to edu- educate ourselves and on the industry from a consumer standpoint. And you know these guys have I'd put their palates up against anybody. Yeah. Now, Matt, are you you excited about being a whiskey ambassador outside of the state of? Con- Tennessee. I, I'm very excited about it. I got to spend a little time working for actually our distributor. Um, so before I came over uh, working here, I worked for Athens Distributing and then went over to a local vineyard and then made my way in this direction. So I'm excited to jump outside of Tennessee and, and to see this this brand you know grow. Um, you know I, I trust Lee. I trust April. I love what they're doing. Um, to me, you know it's it's not about how many people come through that door. It's about leaving here as friends and family, but also growing that family outside of Tennessee. And, you know, that that's one thing that we're really trying to build this brand around is that, you know, we are friends and family and it's friends and family that do this. And so we want to grow that outside of what we're just doing here in Leapers Fork and then into Franklin and Nashville and even further. So yeah, I think you'd see whiskey drinkers open arms to anybody is going to put some whiskey out there in front of them and say, hey, Try, try this good stuff right here. Sure. Fine, folks. Let's try my try my whiskey. And mm-hmm. I think that's good. So we got a couple minutes left. In the future, what are you putting out? Are you going to do any finished whiskeys? So, you know, right now, uh, yes, the short answer is, yeah, I'd like to do that. Play around finishes. That, that for us, I think, is probably, ooh, man, we got some, we got some time to do that. You know, we're uh, – with that – goal of having my standard age statement about seven years we've we've got a while before we do that so right now i'm concentrating on you know the whiskey that we're laying down right now making it the best we can um right we're kind of scratching that itch with alternative type stuff we're keeping ourselves engaged by doing that you know experimental whiskeys once a year um but man i love what's going on with the with the finishes on on whiskeys you know charlie and andy up at nelson you're going to see them tomorrow and they're doing some great things with barrel finishing. And um, so I, th- I think that's a that's a big future of the industry. You know, uh, consumers' palates are getting uh, more complex and they're wanting to see new things within the boundaries of, of bourbon and Tennessee whiskey. So, man, the, the sky's the limit on what you can you know do with finishing. And so, yeah, short answer is we'd love to do stuff like that down, down the road. But we got some things to do first. <laughs> so tell me where we can find you guys on social media at. Yeah, so you'll you'll find us at, at LF Distillery. Um, so that'll be Instagram, Facebook, um, LeapersForkDistillery.com. That's L-E-I-P-E-R-S-F-O-R-K uh, Distillery.com. Um, so that's our website. You know, if you're coming into Nashville, want to book a tour, best way to do it is through that website. And uh, and check us out on our Instagram and our uh, our Facebook as well. So, so if, you, if you're headed from Kentucky and you're headed down to the dirty south, the Gulf Coast down there, you know, this is right on your stop, oh, right? Yeah. We're, yeah, absolutely. We're only 15, about 15 minutes off the interstate. Off the interstate. So, off, you're you lunch, go to Puckett's, yeah. uh, get, some, get yeah. some lunch, come over mm-hmm. here, grab a couple of bottles of whiskey so you can enjoy them on a the beach. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'd, I'd say you guys are you're kicking on all cylinders. Well, thank you. Um, and, and they drink you. very well on the beach, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, Lee, uh, April, Matt, I really appreciate you guys letting a bourbon road come on down here to Tennessee. Us, us Kentucky boys are myself a Texas boy coming down here and, and drinking some Tennessee whiskey, drinking some rye. Um, we, we always appreciate when people open their doors to us and we try to make the most of it. Um, so I, I thank you. Hey, we're honored to have you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Here. So once again, this is the Bourbon Road. Um, you can find us on 
Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook, The Bourbon Road. Um, you can find us, our webpage is thebourbonroad.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at One Big Chief. Uh, leave us comments. If you like podcasts like this, episodes with craft distilleries or distilleries or just anybody about the bourbon culture, uh, leave us a five-star review. Um, write, tell us what you think. Uh, send us an email. Let us know. Um, and we'll see you down the bourbon road. appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly We always welcome comments or suggestions. And if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us. 